Help yourself. <laughs> no, ma'am. No way at all. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Hallelujah, Miss Peggy. When you started shouting, I noticed um, smiles and appreciation across the congregation. And uh, folk were glad to hear Miss Peggy shouting again. Amen? Amen. We have something to shout about. In my mind right now, I can hear uh, Brother R.J. Wildman. Uh, no telling at the revivals, I've heard him preach, and after a good song, just before he would get up to preach, he'd get up, he'd turn around, give you that sidewinder grin he had, and he'd say, aren't you glad that you know, 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 that you're saved, and I'm glad that I know that I'm under the blood this morning, amen, and God's people have ground to rejoice on. And we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to shout, do we? And to rejoice and to weep tears of rejoicing. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven uh, to celebrate and rejoice in Christ. Uh, we can praise him right here. And uh, I'm afraid there's going to be some people way out of place when they get to heaven. Of course, we'll have a glorified body and have a mind to know as Christ knows. And we'll be in a little better shape to do all that over there. But if you had to go right now, it, you know, this kind of a service does not make God nervous one bit at all. Amen. doesn't shake him up. And uh, he, he loves when we sing to him, when we shout to him, when we rejoice in him. Isn't the Lord good to us today? Amen. We, <laughs> we rejoice. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, one of the joys, of course, Troy and Melissa, the three children are not here with us. But one of the joys of my life was when Brother Troy was still pastoring over at Bethany in Saltilla, and I preached a revival for him. I'd forgotten that my little sister played the piano, and she was the pianist at their church where he was pastor. And so the first night on Sunday night, uh, when song service began, here she goes. She goes to the piano, and uh, we don't know why the Lord calls our loved ones home when he does. My mother would have loved these great-grandbabies of hers. And um, we've talked about that. All of us have talked about that. But she would have been so proud to have seen Melissa get up as a pastor's wife and play the piano. Of course, they're between churches right now, members of our church. But uh, I wept and couldn't hardly preach that night. I wept the whole song service, just, um, just rejoicing in her serving the Lord the way that she is. And then when they came to our church, I never had heard my little sister shout. But she's a shouter too. And it blessed me coming and going. First Sunday morning, we were here, and she uh, was being blessed real good and shouted. That may not have blessed you like it did me, but it's still blessing me. But I'm glad we have ground to shout on, aren't you? It's good to be in the Lord's house. You tell the folk that's traveling and not here this morning when they get back, you tell them, boy, you really missed a service. And if they ask you, what happened? Just say, I can't tell you. I, I, I won't tell you. You just missed a good service. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Thank you, Brother Greg. Thank you, Brother Warren. Thank you, Miss Lindsay. Thank you. They always are a blessing when they sing. The Chapmans are. We thank you for being here. We thank our visitors for being in the service with us. And uh, it's always just a joy to be in the Lord's 
house. We would have, normally, we would have finished the message we began last week uh, while we're looking at the life of Joseph, but for the past two weeks, I've had the passage on my heart that I'm going to share with you this morning. 1 Timothy chapter number 4, as you find verse 12, if you can and will, would you stand with us please? We stand for the reading of today's text of Scripture that we'll bring the message from. I'm interested in the reach of an exemplary life. Paul, of course, is writing to a young preacher, one of what we call one of his preacher boys in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And, of course, a lot of what he has to say has to do with ministry, but it also has to do with life. And right on the heels of us mentioning these three young people in our midst today, these young ladies and this young gentleman that we presented a Bible to on behalf of our church, um, I'm reminded, have been reminded leading into this Sunday, of just how far-reaching a life can be. And Paul gives to Timothy and to us some instructions about the reach of an exemplary life. This is a Christ-filled life. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12 through 16, the Bible says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The reach of an exemplary life. Tyler, sure. Would you pray for us, please, brother? Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. The reach of an exemplary life. I want to speak under three headings, if the Lord be our helper. I'm interested here in Paul's plea for an exemplar, uh, exemplary life. The particulars he lists for or of an exemplary life and the purpose for the ex- an exemplary life. Before we do, I want to make some, uh, some comments leading into these three headings. Paul, it's interesting in this passage, that he tells Timothy to set the example. He doesn't tell him to follow an example. Now, in other passages of Scripture, we can make the case for that. 
But he's come to the place in his life where he's telling Timothy, now, Timothy, you need to get out front, and you need to set the example. You need to be the example and live your life in front of others uh, in a Christ-honoring way. It's interesting, isn't it? We often, all of us, make the example of how we ought to follow good examples. But here, Paul is telling Timothy that because of your influence, there will be many that's going to be looking to you. And so, therefore, you need to be somebody that, uh, that can be followed. If, uh, if you were to look up the average lifespan of an individual in the United States of America, U.S. Census Bureau, in 2018... Uh, they figured that the average lifespan of an American now is 78.5 years of age. In the United States of America, one century before that, in 1918, uh, the average lifespan was 36.6 years of life. Uh, That's a great deal more these days than what man lived uh, a little over 100 years ago. Uh, During your lifetime, it's estimated, depending on where you live on this planet, that you will uh, see somewhere between 90,000 faces in a lifetime, somewhere between 90,000 and 42 million people you may come into contact with. It just depends on who you are and where your position in this world. It's also believed that in our average day that uh, we'll have at least 27 conversations that will last about 10 minutes in length with someone. You say, Preacher, why would you even look that up and mention that to us? Well, the reason why is because we should never underestimate our sphere of influence. I shared, uh, shared with you back a couple of years ago of the young couple that um, after a service, they approached their pastor, and the lady was doing the talking. She said, you know, said, if you would, Pastor, I want you to recommend a book to us. We've got some neighbors that really believes some things about eternity that are unfounded in the Word of God, could you recommend a book to us? And he said, well, you have your Bible. He said, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2 when she found her place. He said, if you would, read that verse aloud. And, of course, that verse says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And he said, dear lady, he said, the best book you can give to your neighbors is the book of life. And he said, you live as an example before those people and remind them of Christ as you live before them. It's amazing the people we come into contact with. A lot of times that's family members, and then it's co-workers, and it may be classmates, and maybe somebody in the community. It may be our friends. And so we can share the gospel with those around about uh, that uh, we live next to. Paul here, he charges Timothy to live an exemplary life. He writes, if you'll notice with me here in verse number 12, he begins this verse by writing, let no man despise thy youth. This word despise means to think slightingly of. In other words, he says just because you're a young man, Timothy, don't let somebody look upon you as a young man and despise your youth or to think lightly of you because you're young in age. He's telling him, step up and be who you ought to be. You can overcome your age by the quality of life that you'll live before others. And so he's to be an example in Christian witness and in Christian uh, living. He's to lead the way. Again, be the example or set the pattern uh, for others. 
You remember uh, those of you who are in our Wednesday evening studies, of course, pre-COVID, before we went outdoors, we're back to the book of Philippians now in our Wednesday services. But some of you will remember we spent a couple of nights in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 19, on the things that happened unto Paul. There were those that were taking advantage of his being in prison, preachers, that is. You wouldn't have thought that. But not only were they preaching the gospel, they were taking opportunity to use their platform to take shots at Paul, trying to make things harder on Paul. But this is what he wrote about that. And he set an example, by the way. Even in prison, when he did not have a pulpit to preach from, God put a pen in his hand. And God allowed him to be a witness to Caesar's household. And he won many to Christ that were chained to him in that prison atmosphere. But this is what he wrote. He wrote in Philippians 1, verse number 12, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. That word furtherance is, is a word that was used in the military, um, in, in, in the military of Paul's day. Not by the soldiers, but what we would consider the Corps of Engineers, perhaps. The Corps of Engineers. What, this, uh, what he's talking about, that word furtherance, carries with it the idea the soldiers are on the march. They're ready to go do battle and enter into battle. There would be a group of men that would go before them, clear out any trees or underbrush, build bridges, whatever they would need, so that their progress would not be impeded. And Paul says that no matter what has happened to me, God has used this and used my example uh, to clear the path for other people to come this route and, uh, and be able to share the gospel as well. I also shared with you some years back about Ani Ralph. He pastors at Crossroads Baptist Church in Faulkner, Mississippi. And some years ago, I was preaching revival for him a Sunday night through a Friday night. And I mentioned to him on Friday night, just before we got in our van to go home, uh, I mentioned to him the liberty that had been in each of the services. And I said, you know, the Lord's really using you and your influence. And he said, no, Brother Kevin, he was quick to say, it's not me, but it was Brother Wayne McKee. He said, he came in before me and paid a price, paid a heavy price, and now I'm able to come in here and have a ministry and there be liberty. He said, he cleared the way. I'll be privileged to preach for his son at this coming Friday night and Saturday night in Alcorn County and looking forward to that. God uses us to clear the way for someone else. You used to hear old-timers preach it like this. Perhaps you will be the door through your witness. You will be the door that others will come to faith in Christ through. Paul has lived an exemplary life before others, and now he's calling on Timothy. He's calling on the next generation to do the same. Speaking of Paul's testimony and mentioning the book of Philippians, Philippians 3 and 17, the apostle Paul wrote, Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. He, be, he said, be followers together of me. Let's do this together. I wonder how many of us could say with Paul, I'll take the lead. I'll be what I'm supposed to be. I'll be Christ-like in spirit, in action, in attitude, and all about my life. I'll be somebody that you can lean on. I'll be somebody that you can hook your wagon to. And I'll lead us in the direction that Christ will be honored. Now, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, of course, are part of, they're two of what we know to be pastoral epistles. 
Paul was very close to a number of young uh, uh, preacher boys, if you could say it like that. But Timothy seems to be especially uh, close to Paul. He calls him my own son in the faith. Most of us believe that uh, Paul was preaching when Timothy was saved. And perhaps Paul even led Timothy to the Lord. But he calls him his son a couple of times in Scripture. He calls him such in 1 Timothy 1.18, where he wrote this charge, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And then in 2 Timothy, he's writing to him again. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse number 1, uh, he writes, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, he led uh, uh, Timothy to the Lord, or at least he was preaching, we believe, when Timothy was saved. But now God has called Timothy to preach. He's, uh, he's placed a call to the gospel ministry upon Paul's life. Timothy turns to Paul. He's able to be privileged enough to serve right alongside Paul at times in gospel ministry. Paul loved Timothy. Timothy loved Paul. Uh, Paul guided Timothy. He taught him. He warned him. He exhorted him. He helped him. Uh, We believe that Timothy labored in as many as five different congregations. Ephesus being the one that we're more familiar with. The assembly at Ephesus. Here in verse number 12, again, we'll go through all these verses, or at least a couple or three of them this morning. But here again in verse number 12, it's very evident that uh, Timothy is a young man. When Paul writes to him, he says, let no man despise thy youth. Of course, he is, he is uh, uh, as any young man or young lady, uh, he is wanting the respect of not just his peer group, but he's wanting the respect of those who are, uh, are their elders. And so it is with Timothy. And so Paul writes to him and tells him, you'll get that as you earn that. You'll earn that, but that comes through you waiting your turn, through you, uh, you establishing your testimony, uh, through your faithfulness. That's how you will earn that. Uh, you'll earn that by the way you conduct yourself in and out among the brethren, uh, in and out as you uh, conduct yourself, as you, uh, how you behave yourself with people in this world. Uh, Timothy does have to prove himself. We've all been there. We all earned respect. Respect is not something that is just automatically uh, given, uh, given to us. He's telling Timothy that he's going to have to model a consistency in his life. He's going to have to stay with it, put one foot in front of the other. Be on Monday what he claims to be on Sunday. If he tells you something on Tuesday, you ought to be able to stand good for that on Friday. He is to be consistently in action and in attitude what he claims to be. If he's going to overcome his youth, if he wants people to respect him as a mature believer, as a mature preacher even, then he is going to have to live an exemplary life. Now, there's a lot of disadvantages that can come to anybody in life, right? We, we run across testimonies quite often where maybe a young man or a young lady has come from a dysfunctional family. Or maybe there's a young man or a young lady that uh, uh, they, they didn't have monetary benefits that maybe other young people had. Or, or maybe there's a young man that God calls him into the ministry and he's not good with the books. Reading doesn't come easy for him. 
his comprehension level. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not what others are. And so he has to work harder. Of course, may I remind us that in First Timothy, or excuse me, First Corinthians, chapter number one, God rarely calls the wise, and He rarely calls someone who is learned. If I can say it like that, the world is looking for someone to handpick off the top. But God reminded us over there in First Corinthians, chapter one, He picks His servants off the bottom, and the reason for the struggle is so that He received the glory. When you look at a Simon Peter after he has denied the Lord some three times publicly, and then you see him again as he stands with the courage of a lion on the day of Pentecost and takes his old long finger and points at the Jews and says, you're guilty. You, you crucified the Lord. You're guilty. You're a sinner. Uh, it took a, I tell you, it takes God to do something like that. When God can take a David out of the Old Testament that has a blemish on his resume that we still talk about to this day. Only God can take that life and use that life to bring honor unto himself. And so we overcome any criticisms of our life through a consistent walk. It's been some time since I've said this to you, so while I'm right here and it's on my mind, may I remind us all that God will use those, not who are in today and out next Sunday, not those who are up today and down tomorrow, not those who are hot today and cold tomorrow, but God will use those who consistently, their car is in their parking lot on the Lord's day. You understand what I'm saying when I'm saying that? Uh, those uh, those who, who are just like many pearl, thank God, just glad to be here, thank God, and have, have no access to grind. I don't know about you, but there are people in life that I highly respect and look to and have gleaned from their lives. Some of them have... Uh, have gray hair in their head. But now, not necessarily all of them. I have some older heroes. I've got some heroes that have gone on to be with the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, I've got some young heroes too. Some that dare to believe God and walk on in spite of criticism or walk on in spite of where they may work or where they may live or what they may live in. I'm telling you, they just walk on for Christ and they live for Christ. I tell you, people like that are my heroes. We've got some around here, young and old alike, that just, I mean, love God. and Thank God they're, you, you just watch them. They're the same every day of the week, whether they are in the church house or not in the church house. Worship is not something we do on Sunday morning. Worship is something that we are. It's who we are. We live in worship for what the, our great God has done for us. We worship him. We adore him. You don't have to twist our arm behind our back. And tell us to do right. We don't get everything right, but we want to honor. Out of worship, we walk with the Lord. Out of our worship, I preach unto him this morning. Out of my walk and my worship, I pray and study the word of God. And and so on and so forth. Living in an example. We ought to live an example. Our lives are examples. And um, if you want to be respected today. The Bible says in the book of Romans, a man neither lives to himself nor, the, nor does he die to himself. Somebody's following you. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's listening to you. Wouldn't it be awful to be a stumbling block to a lost man on the job or to be a stumbling block to a young lady you go to school with, go to college with, or to be a stumbling block to, to somebody that you do business with or your supervisor that you work under on the job? Many have influenced my life, and many have influenced your life as well. 
There have been those that have invested in my life. I'd be a poor steward to not invest in the lives of others. Paul is calling on Timothy to live an exemplary life. You say, preacher, do you think we, we live a perfect life? Uh, you're not going to live a perfect life. Our only perfection is found in Christ. The only good part about me is the part God saved. It's the only good part about me. But the Bible does still say, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be Christ-like. When the Christians were first called Christians at Antioch in the book of Acts, that was not, that was not a term of endearment, but that was a slang term. They said they looked like little Jesuses running around. They're saying what he said, They're talking like he talked. Um, they remind us of Christ. And I tell you, that ought to be the testimony. The testimony, God help us not just to say, God help us to do. God help us to live. God help us to live in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse number 12, Paul is telling Timothy, and then following, he'll outline it for him, but Paul's telling Timothy that he's to be an example before this world. Paul doesn't lower the standard for him, but he holds him to a high standard. He says in verse number 12, notice we've been the plea for this exemplary life. In verse number 12, he writes, Let no man despise uh, thy youth. Watch him. He says, But be thou an example of the believers. Be an example. Be a model. Be an image. Be a pattern to follow. This word example comes from the word tupas, and it means, it means the mark that's left after a strike or after a blow. The idea of that, how many of you remember the old typewriters? And you'd, I can hear Miss Carolyn McWhorter right now, the beginning classes, A-S-D-F-J-K-L semicolon. And she put it to music almost. I mean, she just had a rhythm to her, and we had to learn that and learn that. And I don't know at the times, over the years, I thought when I was taking typing in the ninth grade, I thought I'll never use anything like this. And I type nearly every day of my life. Now, I wish I'd have paid a little bit more attention. But you remember those, those typesets would, would strike the page. They would strike the ink ribbon and, and leave a mark on the page. And that's what he's talking about. He said, you leave a mark in people's life. You, you leave a mark in this world. You remember Thomas said, after the resurrection of Christ, when the women came and, and said, we've seen him. We, we've seen him. He's risen from the dead. And Thomas said, no, I'm not going to believe until I see the two pots. You let me see the nail prints and I'll believe. You let me see him with the scars, the marks that were stricken upon him. And then I will believe. Here when Paul says, be thou an example. He's saying, leave a print. Leave a mark. Leave a, be an example. Be a pattern for somebody uh, to follow. We preachers are not to be examples of political correctness or some type of religious ingenuity. Young people are not to be an example of Hollywood or the latest fad to hit this world or whatever is recorded in, in a tabloid. This world needs to see an example of godliness, a testimony of Christ. Most of us at one time or another have worked in some of these furniture factories around here. And um, you can say what you want to, but if you work in one, you work in one, right? And you'll, you will remember this if you've ever worked in one, if there's any trouble on the upholstery line. 
And the upholsterer can't seem to cover the problem. What they'll begin doing is they'll bring the patterns out of the cutting department. And now the patterns right on the material, they'll go back to the frame department. They'll bring the patterns for that model, that particular style, until they finally find what's wrong. They'll lay that pattern down beside what's wrong. The pattern is the standard. And he's saying to Timothy, he's saying, son, you be the pattern. Let other people realize that if they're not living for Christ, they can look at your life and they can see a standard. They can see a, a pattern by which that, uh, that they ought to be living. I want to ask you something. Has anybody ever left a mark on you? Has anybody ever hit the typeset and it, it made a lasting impression in your life? Has, has anybody invested in you? Did somebody take time uh, with you? About six this morning. I got up five something. About six. I was just kind of thinking about this text. And I don't know if you all will remember it. I remember it. It's about two and a half years ago. I asked if, if you had a preacher in your family or related to a preacher, if you'd hold your hand up. They, we've got a number of our people that are related to preachers. Of course, we've got several that's out today. But from Denise all the way back, of course, they're singing today. And, you know, I, I think about preachers that's left marks on my life. That when I come through the door, Jake and Haley got through the door on me somehow. I missed them on their way in. And I, I think about Haley's dad. And we all know him around here and love him and respect him. I remember once when he took a stand. He was pastoring a church in the edge of Lee County. And I guess it was the powers that be met him as he was walking to the church on Sunday morning after revival. And basically said, uh, we'll give you a severance. We want you to leave. They were upset over the revival and I'm sure other things too. It's a control problem. And Brother Derek had the, had the fortitude, had the backbone to say, God told me to come here and he hadn't told me to leave if you're threatening me with a vote, you're just going to have to take the vote. And he stood his ground. And he is standing his ground, no doubt, left a mark on this young lady and her siblings. Left a mark on my life. There are people through the years that's left a mark on me. I often bring up, and I hated to turn the invitation down. But don't want to be out too much, but to Brother Bobby Cosy is the new pastor out at Buchanan. He called me early in the week and asked me if I'd consider coming and preaching next month their homecoming i'll miss a sunday next month not for the homecoming but i'll be elsewhere and i said brother if you'll give me a day or so i'll call you back but you know my my memories i've shared them with you often i will remember not long after being saved the first time my pastor uh, called on me and and a man by the name of russell to come and take the offering that day I was sitting on the back, right behind where McKinley is this morning, sitting on the back row. I thought I'd pass out between the back row and the communion table. And I thought, unto God, if he calls on me to pray, I will pass out. And then left the service feeling so honored that down at the church, I was allowed to help take the offering that day for the Lord. A couple of three months later, wasn't long, I moved up to about where Brian and Misty are sitting, me and Amanda and I, and of course, when we left Buckhannon, that's about where we were sitting, 
when I went to pastor in 1992. But I remember it wasn't long after we moved up there. I remember the Sunday Brother Charlie called on me to pray for the first time as a young man. Didn't know anything. I don't know that I said anything intelligible to anyone else. I know God had to hear my cry that morning. But all I could do was weep in gratitude that the Lord made room for me at Calvary. And that I was sitting amongst a group of people that for whatever reason they loved me. And took me up under their wing. The first time I ever shouted Miss Peggy in a service, I've told this here before. I mentioned Brother R.J. Wyman. He was preaching summer revival. I guess he preached about every summer revival when we were at Buchanan. There were three saved in the service. The first one was saved. We made our rounds and extended the right hand of Christian fellowship. While we were doing that, our pastor was over here leading somebody else to the Lord. We passed a second time. I was sitting over here. Brother R.J. went back to the pew. Of course, he and Brother Doug Jones was right over here. And while we were passing by the second time, there was a third one that was saved. We made our third trip around. I got over here and was standing there. And Brother Otis Sullivan, I, I'll never, I can see it like it happened five minutes ago. He was a little build man. And Brother Ott was so... Grateful that the Lord was saving that night and people responding. And, and uh, he never said a word. He took that little shaky hand and lifted it up, looked straight up, and tears just falling off his chest. I don't know what I said. I come unglued. I come apart. I shouted. I don't know if I said hot dog, hot diggity dog, hallelujah. I don't know if I screamed like a panther. I don't know what I said. You've heard me tell it before, but you're going to hear me tell it again. About three or four rows back from the left, Miss Connie Twitty sat on in. Miss Connie never had a driver's license, lived into her 90s. If you'd go by and pick up Miss Connie, she's coming to church. Sometimes her family, the weather was bad, or if she'd been sickly, they'd call whoever would pick her up and say, don't pick mom up, not, not Sunday. I'm sure it must have broken her heart. Our pastor would leave the door open at times for someone to say something if he missed an announcement. And he would ask, is there anything else needs to be said? And you could just mark it down. You think, you think Daryl Brindle takes time when you give him time. Miss Connie would take her time. She'd stand to her feet and she'd say, Brother Charlie, I just want to say, the Lord sure been good to me. I can hear in her little high-pitched voice. She'd talk about how good the Lord had been to her. Sitting just to her right was Miss Laura Downey. She didn't smile. She wouldn't have smiled if Jesus told a joke, I don't guess. She was a Sunday school teacher. She is a grown lady Sunday school teacher. The, her Sunday school room's right over here. Right off, the, right off the old church, right off the old sanctuary, right there. Well, if Brother Charlie cut up or said anything and everybody giggled a little bit more, and I'm telling you, she'd look like she'd bite your head off. She wasn't mad at anybody. She's just taught when you go to the house of God, you go into a different place. You present yourself differently. This Bible, you don't question the Bible. You don't argue with the Bible. It's God's Word. And then there was Miss Angie's mama sitting beside uh, Miss, Miss Laura Dowdy. And you talking about when somebody got saved. <laughs> Am I right, Amanda? 
You talking about cut a jig and shout to the glory of God. She might not immediately, but son, they'd go to weigh in on her. I'm going to tell you what them people did. They left a, a mark on me. When I was growing up as a little boy, I, I used to, I loved baseball until I got in high school and figured out I couldn't play with the other fellas, couldn't play like they could play. But I sure loved, I loved T-ball, Little League, and Pony League. That's what we called it back then. Now we got Dizzy Dean and Dizzy Jeff and Dizzy everybody else. <laughs> I used to take a, a hole handle. I, I cut the end of a hoe out, an old hole that never was used. I, I'd take a hole handle, I'd bat rocks. I didn't need a bat for it. I'd take the hole handle and put a rock wherever I wanted to put the rock. And in the American League, my, my team was Boston Red Sox because I liked to watch Jim Rice. He was a long ball hitter. And, but in the National League, it was the Cincinnati Reds. I remember how all of them used to come to the plate. I remember their batting stances. I used to have all their baseball cards. I could tell you their stats, how long they'd been playing. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, Johnny Bench was behind the plate. The ace for the Cincinnati Reds was Tom Seaver. Uh, he was the pitcher you wanted if it was a critical game. They made the playoffs. You wanted Seaver on the mound. On first base was Dan Driesen. Second base was Joe Morgan. I can remember how far he played off the bag. Third base was played by Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose, Dave Concepcion was at shortstop. In left field was Cincinnati's long ball hitter, George Foster. He was the home run leader several years as long as he played. Um, Geronimo was the one in center field, then Ken Griffey Sr. in right field. I still remember. I remember how Joe Morgan gripped the bat with this hand that was behind in his stance. And then when the, when the pitcher would wind up, son, he'd get steel. And if he ever connected, he probably is getting on base. Same with Pete Rose. And I'd get out there in the driveway, and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd scratch like they would. I said that simply to say this. Be careful how you conduct yourself around here. Somebody's watching you. There's little eyes, there's big eyes on you. Be in your place every Sunday. Be in your place on Wednesday. You'll be amazed at how far that's going to go. I sent the preachers who are now pastoring out of our church since I've been here, sent them all a message. I do that on occasion. And I said, guys, I want you to know I've prayed for you. She preached to your people today. <laughs> God's given them a people that they can feed and preach to, and they can love, and they can pastor. He's given them a people. And a lot of what they say from time to time as to how they handle things, they talk about what they learned while they were here with us. And I am so humbled by that, aren't you? Paul, please, be thou an example. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Notice the particulars of this exemplary life. I'll give you this uh, i give you this somewhat briefly, but notice he writes in verse number 12. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Watch this. He starts off, he says, in word. He says, watch what you say. For a believer, there's no place for profanity and vulgarity. Critical words. Harsh language. Not for the believer. He says, be an example in word, in word. God help us to be and use that type of an example. 
God, help us to be people who watches what we say and how we say and when we say. And then he says, in conversation. Now, that's not your communication as you would think it to be, but that's your manner of life. If you'll look that word up in your strongs, it's your lifestyle, the way you conduct yourself. How you live your life does make a difference, right? It does make a difference. He tells Timothy, calls him to live this he calls him to live this exemplary life. You remember Peter wrote about a lifestyle. You remember what he said about Lot? We didn't know Lot was saved until we came to Peter's writings, right? Pot, uh, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Next thing you know, he's sitting in the gate. Then he loses his family to Sodom. And then Sodom. And Peter writing about him said that Lot vexed his righteous soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked that is the lifestyle of the sodomites grieved him what does your lifestyle do for other people we should be christians no matter where we are in life and then he says number three here's another particular of an exemplary life paul calls timothy to he says in word then he writes in conversation and then he writes in charity we preached 13 messages you'll remember last summer out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, what we know to be the love chapter of our New Testament, the agape chapter, the chapter that calls us to live our life on a higher plane. You say, preacher, how should I live my life? Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 4, through the first phrase of verse 8. Listen to what he writes, love, agape. He writes, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And then he says, charity never faileth. He says, you can count on agape. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was talking to Brother Fred Morris, and we were talking about Wall of Grace. And I said, you know, Brother Fred, I said, when I first got to know you, um, to find out who you were, I said, you were doing then what you're doing now, helping preachers. And I said, you rallied churches in Mississippi, in Arkansas, and Tennessee, and bought Brother Kenny Digby a car. Brother Kenny was preaching meetings, and he'd wait and be the last one to leave. And he'd clutch his little car. He'd park on a hill. He'd clutch his car, and uh, he didn't have money to buy him a battery. Well, it wasn't just he needed a battery. He really needed a car. And Brother Fred learned of that, and I was rehearsing that. And I said, you know, you, y'all presented that car, and then you took an offering to buy him a year's insurance and buy him a tag. And I said, I, I remember that. And he said, Brother Kevin, he said, the Lord's been good to me. He said, every day of my life, he said this, this at the age of 84, he said, every day of my life, I try to show the love of God and be a blessing to somebody. He said, it may be write a letter, and he writes a lot of letters. He said, it may be make a phone call, it may be send a card, but I try to do something. Did you know young people ought never grow up in a church where they wonder what the love of God is? Paul says, Timothy... I'm calling you to an exemplary life. 
The particulars he mentions, he says, you're to live your life above board in word and conversation and charity. And then he says, in spirit. In spirit. A good spirit will lift the whole atmosphere of a worship service. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about our spirits, our demeanors. I used to preach hard on, as a young man, uh, in revivals on our attitude. I don't know if what, maybe we ought not go back and preach some more on our attitude. We're to guard our attitude, guard our spirit. A foul spirit can ruin what's going on around us. He says, in faith, in faith. In consistency, the things of the faith. And then he says, in purity. Notice with me lastly, and I'll close. There's Paul's plea for an exemplary life. The particulars he mentions for an exemplary life. And then there's the purpose for it all. Look at verse number 16. He writes, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, we've skipped 13, 14, and 15. Those have to do with ministry. Of course, even if you'll look back at verse number 15, Paul here exhorts Timothy to let his progress toward Christ's likeness be a testimony before other people. Verse 15, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Then here in verse number 16, now notice what he says here. This is interesting. I'm talking about living a testimony, being an example. Watch what he says in verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Watch this. Continue in them for in praying this. It's not what he says, is it? He doesn't say in hoping this. But he says in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee for in doing this. I couldn't help but think about when I thought about... uh, Kaylee called me last night. She and Emily were up here sitting at their table. I couldn't help but think about how many lives they'll touch in their lifetime. They'll far outlive me. And I was reminded of Skylar and how he just, he didn't ever ask for a gift on behalf of our church. That's just the kind of young man he is. But at their age, I thought about just how many lives that they may touch. But then again, I wonder how many lives we all may touch before God calls us home. You give me a little space to share with you a couple of more personal illustrations, and I'm done. But um, it was 07, Brother Bearfield had asked me to come to his Bible conference, and on Tuesday morning, close the morning service, he knew where we'd been, and we were in close contact, of course, in those days. And, and I told him, I said, I'm not in any shape to preach. And he said, no. He said, I think it'd do you good and it'd do us good too. And so he mentioned some of what we'd gone through. And uh, in their new building, I was uh, to the right of the pulpit, back up in the aisle, almost on the back. I read out of Second Corinthians 1. I couldn't preach as I told him I couldn't preach I shared just a moment or two of our testimony and um, with a broken heart I went back to my seat before I could get there Dale Henderson was pastor in Hazel Baptist Church out from Union Mississippi and uh, he met me 
Brother Dale is the pastor of Oakview Baptist Church out of New Albany. Some of us have friends up there, good friends. But this is what he said to me. He said, Brother Kevin, he just took me by my shoulders and he looked at me for a moment and he said, Brother Kevin, he said, um, he said, you quit and I quit. As a matter of fact, he said, um, he said, I have thought about doing that very thing and coming back home to Booneville. And he said, every time I think about what I'm going through, I think about what you're going through. And he said, I figure if you can go through what you're going through, then I can go through what I'm going through. But he said, I'm just telling you right now, you quit and I'm quitting. We got out in the hall after Brother Bearfield dismissed the services and Brother Craig Clemens, a friend of mine from up in Flintville, Tennessee, he come around and he said, Preacher, you have no idea what I'm going through. But he said, just knowing that you've stayed in there keeps me in there. But he said, now you ever decide you want to get out, I may follow you. Now, I'm a poor example, but if God can use a feeble somebody like me, God can use every one of you. Not a doubt about it. Paul calls us to an exemplary life. May we live for Christ in all that we do. Let's stand together. Brother Greg, Miss Angie, come in front to lead us in our invitation time.